Hi, this week on Red Astray, I am going to be reading the 28th and 29th chapters of the first Keeper of the Lost Cities book by Shannon Messenger. Chapter 28 Foxfire was almost unrecognizable. Silver streamers wrapped every tree, every shrub, every tower, like the school had been toilet papered with tinsel. Confetti and flowers covered the floor, and giant bubbles filled with prizes floated through the halls. Prodigies ignored their parents as they dashed around, popping as many as they could. Grady and Adeline were overwhelmed by the crowd, so they went straight to where they'd meet for their first mentor appointment and left Sophie to celebrate on her own. She made her way to the level four wing and decided to drop off Fitz and Keith's presents before meeting up with her friends. A tiny part of her had been hoping she'd find Fitz at his locker, but she all she found was a long line of level four girls, all of whom glared at her. She added a small teal wrap package to his nearly full hat. The glaring turned even uglier when she added a bright green box to Keith's collection. Girls. She kept her head down as she slunk away, hurrying back toward her own wing, which was how she ended up plowing straight into Sir Tyrgon. Sorry, she exclaimed as he struggled to regain his balance, but he'd been moving fast, and it crashed pretty hard. She rubbed her forehead where it had slammed into his elbow. Sophie! He glanced around, thin lines stretched across his brow. What are you doing here? I just came to drop off some gifts. Why? Is everything okay? He smiled, but it looked forced. Of course. I just didn't expect to run into you here. Especially so literally. He smiled. His smile turned real with his joke. Well, well, what do we have here? Sophie's heart sank as she turned around, expecting to find Keith with lots of prying questions and one of his trademark smirks. But And he was here, but his grin was gone, and it wasn't he who'd spoken. A tall, slender man in a sapphire-encrusted navy blue cape stood next to him, studying Sophie intently. The family resemblance was striking, though Keith's disheveled hairstyle and untucked shirt sharply contrasted his dad's slick, blonde hair and pristine tunic. This must be the girl raised by humans, he said, much louder than Sophie would have liked. How curious to find her in the level four wing, talking to Foxfire's most infamous mentor. Infamous? Sophie couldn't help asking. She glanced at Keith, but he was staring at the ground. It was strange to see him so deflated, like he'd wilted in his father's presence. Keith's father grinned, an oily sort of smile that dropped with, ins- dripped with insincerity. Few mentors have resigned and returned years later out of the blue to train a mystery prodigy. He winked with the last two words like he knew exactly who the prodigy was. Sophie felt her cheeks flame and searched for some sort of lie, but Tyrgon beat her to it. Interesting theory, Cassius. Lord Cassius, he corrected. Tyrgon's jaw tightened. Lord Cassius. But do you really think I could be tempted back by a little girl, especially one performing so unremarkably in her sessions? She knew he didn't mean it. That Tyrgon was only trying to keep her telepathy hidden, but the words still stung. A lot. Come on, Dad, Keith said, looking at Sophie, not his father. His eyes radiated apologies he couldn't say. I'm sure er, Sophie has somewhere she needs to be.
Cassius glared at his son. Yes, of course. And I need to meet with your mentors. See how disappointing your scores will be this time. Keith rolled his eyes at his as his father turned to Sophie with another fake smile. Fascinating to meet you. I look very forward to seeing what you can do. Sophie nodded and took off down the hall without saying goodbye. She felt bad leaving Keith and Tyrion that way, but she had to get away from that man. It wasn't because he was intimidating, though he definitely was that. She felt sorry for Keith having to go home to a cold, critical father every day. But what she really didn't like was the way Cassius had looked at her, like she was trying to see through her. And the last thing he'd said, I look forward to seeing what you can do, almost like he knew something she didn't, totally gave her the creeps. It was a relief to stay to the safe to reach the safety of the level two wing, which was packed with prodigies running around popping the prize filled bubbles. She poked a bubble floating by her locker and a box of prattles dropped into her hand. Good catch, Dick said, running up beside her. He jumped for a bubble but didn't quite reach it before he could try again. Cena shoved by, raised up bony arm, and popped it. She waved the bottle of lush bear juice in Dex's face. Must get frustrating being shorter than the average dwarf. Sophie snorted, this coming from someone who looks like a giant lollipop. If your head gets any bigger, you'll topple over. Dex cracked up. Awfully brave, brave words coming from a girl who's going to flunk out of here today, Cena growled. Sophie opened her mouth but couldn't find a snappy comeback. Cena could be right, and Sophie was trying very hard not to think about that, especially after Tyrgon's comment. Cena giggled. Enjoy your last day at Foxfire, loser. She bumped Sophie into the wall and stalked away. Don't let her get to you. And... If Lady Galvin fails you, I'll organize a protest, Dex pointed to her thinking cap, which was overflowing with presents. Look how many people care about you here, he frowned at his own half-empty cap. Sophie nudged his arm, pulled the package from her satchel, the Disneyland watch she'd been wearing when she moved to the Lost Cities. She had figured he'd get a kick out of that, and dropped it in. He grinned, flashing his dimples. I slipped your present in before you got here. He dropped to his, his eyes dropped to his feet. I hope you like it. I love it. I'll love it. Just let me drop off Vienna's gift and we'll go to the cafeteria. Ugh, why did you buy Vienna a present? She's my friend. Yeah, and like a month ago you guys hated each other. That was a misunderstanding. Yeah, well, I don't trust her. I don't think you should either. Why would she reach out to you for... Sophie shushed him as Bianna entered the atrium, followed by Maruka. They looked like they were talking, but when Sophie got closer, she realized they were arguing. Bianna bit her lip. Oh, hey, Sophie. Maruka glared at Bianna. Sophie cleared her throat. Sorry, I just wanted to drop this off. She handed Bianna a pink box, the charm bracelet she'd bought her, and turned to leave. Wait, Bianna pulled out a, sm a slim part parcel and handed it to Sophie. You're coming over for dinner tonight, right? Of course, I can't wait. Well, I'll see you later, Sophie said, wondering why Maruka was glaring at her. Then again, so was Dex. What? she asked as soon as they were out of earshot. You're going over there for dinner? He said something else too, but the bells chime the chiming bells drowned him out. Sophie froze. The bells signaled the start of the parent mentor conferences. 
which meant Grady and Adeline were finding out right now if she was going to stay at Foxfire. Dex dragged her to the celebration feast in the cafeteria, but Sophie couldn't relax, even surrounded by friends. The bells chimed every twenty minutes. Four had already passed, which meant in twenty minutes Grady and Adeline would know if she'd failed alchemy. Her palms were so damp she struggled to unwrap her presents. What do we have here? Keith asked, sm snatching a red box from her thinking cap. He was definitely back to his old self without his father around. He glanced at the card and cracked up. Dear Sophie, I really enjoyed our dance, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Love, Valen. Her face burned as everyone at the table laughed, even Fitz. Who's Valen? Dex asked. Vice President of the Sophie Foster Fan Club. Don't worry, I'm president, so I'll take care of her. He winked as he tossed the present back to her. Go on, open it. There didn't seem to be a way to avoid it, so she tore off the paper, wishing she could disappear when she unwrapped a bracelet of little heart charms. Keith cracked up again. Oh, Foster has a boyfriend. No, she does not, Dex snapped. You don't. You don't, right? She shook her head so hard her brain rattled. I'm just teasing. Sheesh. Keith nudged Dex's arm, then grinned at Sophie. Interesting. What? Dex asked. Which one's your gift, Dex? Sophie interrupted. She didn't have to be a mind reader to know what Keith was going to tease Dex about. Dex glared at Keith as he grabbed a small package wrapped in plain white paper and handed it to Sophie. Sorry, we didn't have any ribbon. Please. I still can't believe you made me something. She tore through the paper and gasped. My iPod! She tapped the screen and the gadget sprang to life. Yeah, he pointed to the green rectangle about, a size of, about the size of his fingernail set into the back. It's solar powered now. It has a speaker in case you don't want to use those ear thingies. She stared at Dex for a, few, for a minute, so amazed she wanted to hug him. She knew Keith would have a field day, though, so she fought the urge. This is amazing, Dex. How did you do it? He shrugged, pink coloring his cheeks. Well, thank you. Best gift ever. I don't know, Keith interrupted. You haven't opened mine yet. She bit her lip, a little afraid of what Keith might have given her. Which one's yours? Your hat was overflowing, so I, so it's waiting in your locker. How did you get into my locker? I have my methods. She shook her head in disbelief as Marilla shoved a box wrapped with crooked green paper into her, hand, her hands. Open mine next. Marilla gave her a variety pack of flavored air, plus she got a ton of candy from Prodigy she barely knew. Vienna gave her a set of edible lip glosses, and Jensen gave her a speckled spider snapper, a plant that fed off spiders. Clearly, he didn't know how to shop for girls. The only real disappointment was Fitz's gift. He gave her a riddler, a pen that only writes the word of a riddle until someone writes the correct answer. It was kind of cool, except he also gave one to everyone else. She'd spent forever trying to find him something personal, settling on a miniature albatrossaurus covered in deep violet feathers. She knew it was silly, but it reminded her of the day they met, and in the car she thanked him for showing her what dinosaurs really looked like. Fitz giving her a fancy pen, especially the same fancy pen he gave everyone else, made it seem like he hadn't thought about her at all. But maybe he hadn't. He tauntingly looked at her gift when he'd opened it, too distracted by the tunic Keith gave him, which had 
I know what you're thinking, and you should be ashamed of yourself. A boy entered across the front. She tried not to let that bother her. The doors burst open, and parents streamed in. Sophie couldn't breathe as she scanned the faces, desperate to find Grady and Adeline. Dex squeezed her shoulder and told her it would be okay no matter what. But she barely heard him. She'd found Grady and Adeline, and their faces were unreadable as they searched the room, not seeing her as she shoved toward them. She was halfway there before she locked eyes with Grady. A huge grin lit up his face. You passed! He shouted over the crowd. A hysterical laugh erupted from her lips, but as she ran the rest of the way and threw her arms around them, when her brain caught up, she wondered if she crossed a line. But their arms wrapped around her, and when they let her go, their eyes were misty. I really passed, she asked, needing to hear it again. Even alchemy. You got a seventy-nine on your purification. Still room for improvement, but within passing range. She squealed, hugging them again. Grady grinned. I am sensing you're happy about this. She laughed so hard, tears streamed down her face, but she didn't care. She passed. She could stay at Foxfire. Sure, she still had to face Bront and the council in five months about permanent enrollment, but right now she was going to celebrate. She raced back to the table and threw her arms around Dex. I I couldn't have done this without you. His face was tomato red when she let go, and she couldn't help giggling. Everyone congratulated her except Keith, who leaned in and whispered. Told you so. When his dad wasn't looking, all her friends had passed their exams. In fact, it looked like most of the school had. A few parents had to comfort, comfort sobbing prodigies, but everyone else was tossing confetti and partying. Unfortunately, that included Stina. Her face twisted into a sneer when she noticed Sophie celebrating. Then she rolled her eyes and stomped away. Sophie giggled. She wanted to stay for the party, but she could tell Grady and Adeline were a little overwhelmed. She ran back to the atrium to go pick up Keith's gift, so she would be ready to go home. Inside her locker, she found a giant box of mood candy, a small black cube, and a note. For the mysterious Miss F. If you don't relax, this candy will always taste better. So, snap out of it. And try to stay out of detention. Okay. The candy tasted like sugar plums, and inside the black cube, she found a, silver pen a round silver pendant with a cobalt blue crystal in the center. The candy turned sour. Since when did Keith give her jewelry? He didn't like her. She wouldn't finish the thought. There was no way a guy like Keith would ever, could ever. Why was she thinking about this? Morella's boy craziness must be rubbing off on her. It was just a necklace. He'd probably give it, gave them to all the girls. She didn't know what to do with it, so she shoved the pendant in the back of her locker. I was glad she didn't see Keith before she left. She needed to figure out how to thank him for such a strange present. Thankfully, Keith didn't bring it up at dinner that night. He was more interested in teasing her about Valen, or teasing Fitz about all the girls who gave him crush cuffs, wristbands embroidered with their names, hoping he'd wear them and show the whole school he liked them. Sophie couldn't decide which was more annoying. Halfway through the Feast of Epic Proportions, a dark-haired guy rushed into the room and sank into an empty chair. He was a vanisher, blinking in and out of sight with every step. Sorry I'm late, Mom, he said as Della brought him a platter of food. I got held up at customs. Mom? Fitz and Bianna had an older brother. How should? How did she not know that? Same wavy hair, same square jaw, but he had Della's pale eyes. 
he was also ridiculously good looking, but he clearly worked hard to look good. Every hair was gelled to perfection. He was built like he went to the gym twice a day, and his ornate cape was immaculate. Not as over the top as Lady Galvin's, but headed in that direction. And you must be the famous Sophie Foster, he said, smiling at her. I'm Alvar. She ignored Keefe as he snickered at the word famous. I didn't realize there was another brother. I see my family talks about me a lot. No, I'm sorry, I... It's fine. That's what I get for moving out. Out of sight, out of mind, he winked at Della. I guess I need to stop by for dinner more often. You, we know you're busy, Della told him, rumpling his hair as she brought him a glass of thistleberry wine. Yeah, busy juggling two girlfriends, Keith interrupted. Alvar grinned. Three. Three? Della's voice was as horrified as her expression. Alvar, that's awful! Are you kidding? It's awesome, Keith corrected. You're my hero. Alvar beamed, and Della glared at both of them. How are things with the ogres? Alden asked Alvar, changing the subject. Drama. They're not happy about the smoke. It's like our, like it's our fault humans can't put out their pity little fires. I can't believe they haven't learned to make quick snuff yet. What fires? Sophie asked, not missing the way Alden sent tense to her question. Just some wildfires, Alden answered after a second. Yeah, Alvar added, swallowing his wine in one gulp. And they're certainly not sending Esmeries to investigate. He shot Alden a pointed look. Sophie's breath caught. Alden had told her he was only sent to investigate suspicious things. Are they burning white hot again? Yeah, how do you know? Alvar asked, frowning. Never mind. Alden interrupted. And why have you been keeping an eye on me? He asked Alvar. I tend to do that when I hear my father's off chasing imaginary enemies. Please tell me you don't buy the conspiracy theories. Certainly not without proof, Alden's voice was hard, but you would be a fool to believe it's not a possibility. Do you you really believe the Black Swan exists? Yes, I've seen their handiwork myself. She watched them stare each other down, wishing she was allowed to read their minds. Something about the Black Swan felt familiar. Alvar shook his head. Well, I don't buy it. That's what that symbol was, Sophie said as her memories pieced together. Symbol? Alden asked. Sophie flushed as she realized she had everyone's undivided attention. Just something I saw in some scrolls Grady had. They were, there was a black curved swan's neck at the bottom. Alden sorted. Ah, yes, the sign of the swan. What a bunch of nonsense. Alden said something, but Sophie's racing heart drowned out his words. The sign. The curve of the swan's neck matched the pattern and the fires that wrapped around San Diego. Quinlan had even called it the sign which meant the fires had something to do with the black swan, whatever that was. What's Project Moonlark? she asked quietly. Alden dropped his fork. How do you know that term? It was on those scrolls. Grady was surprised I could read it. He said the words were written in cipher runes. The silence fell so heavy it pressed on her shoulders, but she held Alden's gaze waiting for his answer. That's classified, he finally replied. Sophie sighed. She was getting tired of important things being classified. It's also a hoax, Alvar added. But what's this about a cipher? And why would Grady have scrolls about the Black Swan? Sophie was wondering the same thing herself. Grady used to look into certain things back when he was active in the nobility, Alden explained. So why does he still have them? Alvar pressed. 
And why was he reading them so recently? Sophie wondered. Enough, Alvar. This conversation is over, and everything that's just been said is classified. Is that understood? Alden waited for everyone at the table to nod, then his eyes met Sophie. I know you find this all very interesting, Sophie, but you need to understand any unauthorized investigation into these subjects will land you in deep trouble with the council. So, no more questions, okay? She nodded, her head buzzing with fear and frustration. She couldn't shake the feeling that all of this had something to do with her, maybe even with how her brain could do such weird things. But she had too much to lose, too many things the council could take away if she upset them. So she took a deep breath and focused on her plate. Keith nudged her. Earth to Foster, Della just asked you what you're doing over, break, over the break. Sorry, she shook her head, trying to snap back into the present. I'm not sure yet. I hope you'll spend some time over here, Alden glanced at Vienna. Vienna nodded. Anytime she wants to come over, then I'll be here as much as I can, Sophie said, glad for the excuse. She may not be allowed to look into whatever was going on, and she may not be allowed to read Alden's mind, but maybe she could find something out just by being around. It was the best plan she had. Chapter 29. Dex refused to have anything to do with Fitz and Vienna, so Sophie had to alternate spending time with him at Havenfield and hanging out at Everglen. Alden and Della were gone a lot, and they usually came home smelling of smoke. They never talked about it, and Sophie was too afraid to ask questions after Alden's warning, but she wasn't giving up. If she couldn't get any new information, maybe she could make sense of the pieces she already had. She tried to fit the clues together. Project Moonlark had to have something to do with the Black Swan, whatever that was, and they had to be behind the fires. But why set fires, especially around humans, and what would that accomplish? The fires consumed her thoughts so much that they crept into her dreams, vivid nightmares of her human family trapped in their old house surrounded by fire. She knew it wasn't real, but she still worked up, woke up shivering every night. It got so bad, she slept with Iggy on her pillow so she wouldn't be alone. Pretty soon, she was counting down the days until school resumed. School was safe. She'd passed her exams. Once school started, she would have nothing to worry about. Congratulations to everyone who passed their midterms, Dame Alina said during their first orientation. I hope you enjoyed your six-week vacation, because it's time to get serious. Anyone who got lower than 85% on their midterms need to step it up, or you will not pass your finals. Sophie sighed. Aside from the 79 in alchemy, she'd received an 81 in elementalism and an 83 in physical education. Your mentors also tell me that Tell me there are 109 level 3s who haven't manifested abilities, more than double that of level 2s, which is unacceptable. Be prepared to be pushed much harder in ability detecting from now on. Groans chorused through the entire room. The next week, student everyone looked sweaty and wilted as they trudged into study hall after ability detecting. Even Morella's poofy hair had thrown in the towel and dropped against her skull. What did they do to I do to you guys? Sophie asked. Stuck us in an oven and roasted us for two hours, trying to figure out if we were frosters. Dex grumbled, which none of us were, because frosting is a stupid talent. Almost no one has. Morella added. She slumped into a chair. What did you do in remedial studies? Same boring old stuff. Actually, she'd had a blast. Tyrion had had her testing trend 
had tested her transmitting distance. It was off the charts. Fitz had almost had a heart attack when she transmitted into his mind all the way from across the school. She couldn't blame him for his surprise. Even Tyrgon didn't know that was possible. But she'd never forget the way his mind actually jerked when she reached it. She hoped he hadn't peed his pants. She fought off her smile, feeling guilty that everyone else suffered while she had fun. What are frosters? Dax rested his chin his cheek against the table. Cryogenetics. They freeze things by manipulating the ice particles in the air. It's totally useless. I don't know why they even test us for it. They have to test us for everything, Jensing reminded us. That's not true. They don't test us for pyrokinesis, Dex argued. Yeah, because that's a forbidden talent, Morella said. There are forbidden talents? Sophie asked. Only one, Dex told her. Mesmer's inflictors are closely monitored, but pyrokinetics are forbidden. Why? Why? Too dangerous. How could you be more dangerous than someone who can inflict pain? Because fire is too unpredictable. No one can truly control it. Plus, people died, Marilla added. Who? Dex asked. Marilla shrugged. I don't know. I heard five people died, and that's why it's forbidden now. But how can you can how can they forbid something like that? Sophie asked. Isn't that kind of like forbidding someone to breathe? Nah, some talents happen on their own as you get older, like telepathy and empathy. Others you would never know you have and something didn't trigger them. Sophie shook her head. That still seems wrong. It's like they're not allowing you to be who you, who they are. Oh, relax. There's only been, like, 12, ever. So, it's not exactly a huge problem. I guess. She wasn't really listening anymore. Because she couldn't remember- Because she'd remembered what Alvar had said about the fires. Conspiracy theory. Could a pyrokinetic be part of the- That- it was an interesting idea and left her head spinning for the rest of study hall, but she needed more information. She swung by the library to see if they had any books on the subject. Surely Alden wouldn't mind her doing a little innocent research at school, right? The level 2 library didn't have any books on kinetics. Neither did the level 3. The level 6 librarian finally told her most of the books on the subject were banned, but she took Sophie's name and promised to check the archives and send anything she found in Sophie's locker. Anything she found to Sophie's locker. In the meantime, Sophie wondered if Grady and Adeline had any books in the libraries at Havenfield. The main library downstairs was a bust, but Grady and Adeline had to have personal libraries in, the off in their offices on the second floor. Seemed like the perfect place to hide banned books. Only problem, even after living there for a little more than five months, Sophie wasn't sure she was allowed in that section of the house, and she didn't know how they'd react if they caught her, especially after Alden's warning. But she couldn't let it go, so she waited until Grady and Adeline were busy outside with a pair of dire wolves and snuck upstairs for a quick peek, promising herself she'd be careful and not leave any trace she'd been there. The first door she tried was Grady's office. Rolled scrolls were stuffed into bins, a mountain of paperwork littered the desk, and books were shoved haphazardly on the shelves. No pictures, no knickknacks, nothing personal to make the place feel warm. But there was, there were empty spaces where they might have been. The bookshelves were filled with law and history books. They probably talked about pyrokinetics in there somewhere, but Sophie didn't have time to scan through them all. The scrolls tempted her, but they were rolled too tight to read, and she's afraid he'd be able to tell if she unrolled them. She wasn't brave enough to flip through the papers on his desk either, in case they were in a special order. She hoped Edeline's office would be more helpful. 
She'd assumed the other the door across the hall was Edeline's, so she almost gasped when she slipped into a dim bedroom. Lacy curtains blocked most of the sunlight. Crystal chandeliers were dulled with dust, and there were scattered remnants left behind from a childhood. Stuffed unicorns, prattles, pins, struggling lanyards, dolls, books. On the desk was a framed photo of a beautiful girl. Jolly. Her blonde hair hung in soft curls to her waist, and she had Edeline's turquoise eyes and Grady's striking bone structure. She wore a white level 6 uniform in the photo, so she was probably 16 when it was taken. Next to it was another picture, Grady and Edeline and Jolly, when she was close to Sophie's age, standing in a breathtaking garden. It was the old them, happy, wearing capes of the nobility, before their lives were struck by tragedy. Sophie could have spent the whole day drinking in the glimpse of who they used to be, but she knew this was the worst place they could find her. She peeled her eyes away and left. The last room had obviously been Adeline's office, but it had turned into a place where leftover junk went to die. Stacks of locked trunks littered the floor, covered with piles of folded linens, unopened presents, and random objects she couldn't identify. A huge bin of unopened letters blocked most of the doorway, so Sophie couldn't get inside, which was fine. The bookshelves were full of thick, dusty volumes, and anything she disturbed would be too obvious. She'd have to figure out another way to find books on pyrokinetics. Maybe Bianna would let her look through the library at Everglen, but she'd have to come up with a good excuse, in case Alden found them in there. She was on murky ground, but she was close to something. She could feel it. Her mind wouldn't let her drop it until she figured out what it was.